Doing the right thing can be costly, can't it? If you've seen the TV show Suits, who's seen, anyone seen the TV show Suits, episode or two? For those who don't know it, uh, it's how Meghan Markle became famous before she married Prince Harry. Uh, so um, that either makes it now incredibly more or less watchable for you, depending on what you make of all of that. Regardless, it's the story of a really smart guy who's really good at law. He has a photographic memory uh, and uh, he's not qualified and he gets qualified, uh, he gets hired, sorry, to be a lawyer by uh, this partner in a giant law firm. And that moment of deception by those two men, the lawyer who hires and the, and the guy who's not really a lawyer, then kind of weighs heavily on the characters as the show unfolds uh, over the preceding seasons. And there's a lot more seasons than I've seen because I kind of got bored of it eventually. But nonetheless, there comes a point when I'm still watching where the character... Uh, Mike, who's the one who pretended to be a lawyer, kind of has to come to terms with doing the right thing and owning up to his con and just copying the consequences of being unable to do the job which he loves. Dealing with the consequences of past mistakes in order to do the, the thing that is right is part of what we have going on here in this letter to Philemon. So let's take a look as we uh, consider what Paul has written. Philemon uh, is a personal letter. It's different to many of the other letters in that it's uh, written to this bloke called Philemon uh, and it's written uh, about a specific issue. And it actually takes a little bit of kind of trying to read between the lines uh, as we build context for what's happening. And imagine if uh, I wrote you a letter about something that was going on in your Christian life uh, and I penned it to you and uh, you got it and that's the only correspondence you ever had as an outsider looking in was this one-way letter. You, I would know what I meant when I wrote it to you and you would know what I meant when I wrote it to you but everyone else who doesn't know the ins and outs of the story, uh, it takes a little bit more work trying to deduct what the issues uh, that are being addressed exactly are. But we can, we can get a fair idea from what has been said. Of course, we know that Paul wrote it. That's pretty clear. It's right there in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. And he's written it to Philemon. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Now, we, we don't know heaps about Mr Philemon, but we think that it's highly likely he's a fairly wealthy individual because it seems that he is the kind of man who has the uh, capacity to have a church meet in his home. And, and that means he's got a relatively large household of which he is head and which he is the, the owner so we, sed we deduce from that that he's a wealthy Christian convert uh, with a home uh, and we also know that he lives in Colossae. Now, we notice in verse 2 that it's also written to two other people with names uh, that you can try and pronounce for yourself. 
And scholars suggest that our dear sister and uh, Art, uh, uh, Apphia, maybe, and, uh, and uh, Arch Archippus uh, are Philemon's wife and son, though that is merely conjecture, it must be said. But what we do know of Philemon, apart from being someone who has this large house that he owns, therefore most likely wealthy, is he is someone who loves Jesus. He's a Christian and he loves Jesus and he's very supportive of the work that Paul is doing and he has a great love for the, the people of God, his brothers and sisters in the faith. We see that in verses 4 to 7, don't we? I, thank my, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul is making an appeal to his Christian brother. And it's an appeal that relates to our friend Onesimus. Verse 10, that appeal that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, we think that this letter to Philemon was written at the same time that Paul wrote the letter to Colossians. And so you do well to to read these two letters together. And if you have a look at the end of Colossians, if you've got your Bibles open there, you'll see that Paul provides some instructions at the end. Have a look in chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 1. He gives a, a general instruction to masters. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And we know Philemon, as the head of a household, as a wealthy man, he, he, he's going to own slaves. That's the reality of the first century. And then when he gets down into the specifics, remember Paul's letters always have these nice personal touches at the end where, that remind us that they're not just theological uh, treaties that are written to, to, to instruct, but they're actually real letters. Uh, down at the end of Colossians, we get this from Paul in verse, starting at verse 7. Uh, Tychus, mm, oh man, I'm struggling this morning. That guy will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So Paul's written a letter to the Colossian church and he's sending Onesimus with the letter, uh, and so because of that, Paul needs to write this second letter to Philemon specifically because of the relationship between Nisimus and Philemon. And this is where we've kind of got to read between the lines a little bit. But we, we, we think, or what, what, what is clear, I think, is that the nature of the relationship is one of master and slave, that is, Onesimus is one of Philemon's slaves. We see that in verse 16. But not only that, he, he's, 
possibly not a very good, in fact, he's certainly not a very good slave. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, there's a bit of irony that Paul's uh, using here because Onesimus, the name, actually means useful. And so Paul's saying he's, he's not lived up to his name. He's become completely useless. Why? Well, we're not sure. It could be because he's run away from Philemon. He's like a, a runaway slave. Or it could be because in the conduct of his uh, work for Philemon, Onesimus has caused Philemon some sort of financial loss, possibly due to negligence. Either way, either through stealing in order to run away or through poor investment in his role as a a slave, uh, Onesimus owes Philemon something. He's a man in debt to his master. And so Paul writes, as he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And so uh, what we see here is that uh, as Onesimus has travelled away from Philemon, whether it's as a runaway or in the course of conducting business, he's found his way into uh, Paul's life. And in doing so, he seems to have become converted uh, and become a Christian and become a great helper to Paul. Verse 10, my son Onesimus became my son while I was in change and I'm sending him, verse 12, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for, for the gospel. Paul and Onesimus have this really good thing going on together But the gospel compels them not to continue to enjoy the good thing, but actually to make sure that their relationship with their fellow brother in Christ, Philemon, is right. There's a break in the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus because of this wrong thing, whatever it is that Onesimus has done. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossae with the letter to Colossians, with this personal appeal to Philemon, saying this, have a look in verse 17. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my very own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do not wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from the Lord from you. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from the Lord, from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Welcome Onesimus back. Not as the slave you own who's wronged you, but as a brother in Christ, as I, Paul the Apostle, am your brother in Christ. Not only that, welcome him back as a free man. If we think back to that story of of suits, Mike, the uh, naughty pretend lawyer, has to accept the consequences for his past mistakes. So too... 
does Onesimus need to deal with his past too and go on back and try and make what is right? But they go back hoping that Philemon will act with the love, grace and mercy that God has shown him, that Philemon will show that grace, love and mercy to Onesimus. But of course, nothing is guaranteed. And what this little moment teaches us is the transformative power of the gospel, actually. Because we see in the person of Onesimus the lesson that we must deal with our past wrongs. You see, Onesimus could have happily kept on serving Paul as he was in prison in Rome. He could have kept on waiting on him and looking after him and had a wonderful life. And he would have been doing God's work. And yet, there would have been this undealt with sin, this broken relationship between himself and his master at Philemon. And though he's got a good thing going on with the Apostle Paul, the gospel compels him to return and to seek forgiveness and mercy, grace, to try and right the wrongs. It's very easy when we've moved on to just kind of shrug our shoulders when it comes to past relational breakdowns. But actually the gospel compels us to seek to do the right thing, even if that is costly, even if that uh, doesn't sort of seem to make any sense. The gospel compels us to deal with our past. Even when there's no guarantee of how it might be received. But lest today someone's going to try and deal with their past with you, there's a lesson for those who are having uh, forgiveness sought in Philemon too. Because Philemon teaches us that we must be ready to forgive those who seek it from us. That if we are Christians, if we have understood the grace and mercy of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus, then we must be ready to forgive those who seek it from us. This is the gospel at work. When someone comes to us and says, I've done the wrong thing by you and I'm here to make amends, our response is not, as you should but rather love, grace, mercy and forgiveness. Are you ready to be like that? What would you do today if someone came to you seeking forgiveness for a past wrong? Are you ready to be open, kind and extend the love and grace and mercy of God to that person just as God has extended it to you because that's the call to forgive and to seek forgiveness neither task easy 
but both radically transformative for the people of God and the community of God's people. Well, before we finish, we've got to talk about slavery because that's the underlying current in this whole letter, isn't it? Onesimus is a slave. Philemon is a slave owner. What's going on? Well, what we know is that in the Roman Empire, nearly one-third of the total population was a slave. Was, if, you were in the, if you lived in the Roman Empire in the first century, you had a one-in-three chance of being owned by someone. And then a second third, so two in three, uh, if you, 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 you would have been a slave at some point. So there's one third slaves and then there's another third who are former slaves and who've earned their freedom. There's a third of people who've never been a slave. So chances are you probably are or were a slave at some point. And if you weren't, you're in the other third, highly likely you owned one. There were slaves everywhere. But as scholars note, and I'll read you, read you from uh, one called Robert Wall, unlike the slaves and slave owners of pre-Civil War America, slave and master in the Roman Empire were often indistinguishable in race or religion, education or work. That is... There wasn't this, it wasn't about the subjugation of a certain group of people, but actually it was kind of just how the economy worked. In fact, we know that sometimes people would willingly sell themselves into slavery in order to find important and meaningful work. Perhaps like what you've done at your place of employment. Now, the treatment of slaves varied. Some had nice masters, some had poor masters. But regardless of how you were treated, if you, if you were a slave, if you had sold yourself into slavery, unlike if you sold yourself uh, into working for the man, you had no rights. So what we have here is a radical thing that Paul is suggesting Philemon do. Paul's proclamation of the gospel in a world full of slaves and slave owners is remarkable. Though he has no vision for overthrowing the social, political, economic, cultural uh, norms of the empire, nonetheless, Paul expects that amongst Christians in the church, in the household of God, no matter who you were, no matter what your status, you would live and worship together, not as masters and slaves, but as brothers and sisters who were equal recipients of the grace and mercy of God. Philemon and Onesimus were the same before God. Paul says as much in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 11. 
Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Or again, in his uh, letter to the Galatian church, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is radical. And what Paul's saying to the church and to Philemon and to us through this letter is that our relationships with one another must accord to the values of God's kingdom and that this is a great witness to the world around us. The world will inevitably come up with structures that cause enmity between people, that, 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 that create barriers between people, even when they're trying to solve other problems. But the gospel is the only truly transformative uh, way to relate. Because it is the only thing that teaches us that every single person is not defined by anything else other than their position before the Lord. And all of us are equal before him. Equally loved, equally in need of salvation, equally saved by grace, equally empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve the church. It doesn't mean we're all the same. The beauty of Christianity is it holds together our unity and our diversity. It holds that together in God himself, Father, Son and Spirit, one God, three persons. And it holds it together in the church. One body, many gifts. We are all equal. And we are all different. And this is the beauty of the church. Different sexes, different nations, different gifts, different roles, but all one in Christ. No matter who we are, no matter what God has gifted us for or called us to, our identity is fixed. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are God's children, saved by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And our differences, rather than dividing us, they serve us as we enjoy our unity. We don't tear down those above us. We don't mistreat those below us. We love all equally as the image bearers of God. We serve one another with love. We seek the good of those around us. We work for justice. We, we give the grace we have been given and we act with mercy as God has been merciful to us. Anissimus is, in fact, a metaphor for all of us because all of us were slaves in need of the master's forgiveness and God, in his great grace and mercy, our master did just that, met us in our sin, paid the price we couldn't pay 
and freed us. And having received freedom, we share in his glory. This is the heart of our faith. This is the hope our world is searching for. And understanding your identity as a child of God, saved by grace, no matter who you are or what you've done or where you've come for, this is the most freeing, most life-changing, most world-altering thing that you can do. So, let's rejoice in our salvation. Let's extend grace and mercy to all. And let's walk in the freedom God has given us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all as we seek to live as his disciples in the world, to forgive and to seek forgiveness, just as Philemon and Onesimus did. Amen. Mm -hmm.